We're studying the greatest sermon ever preached here on Sunday mornings here at Calvary, a sermon that was preached by Jesus himself. And that sermon is recorded in Matthews chapter 5 through 7. So why don't you turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 21 through 26. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, you'll find a Bible hopefully under the seat in front of you, and you can read along with us, page 1,115. Lord, we turn our attention now to your word. Knowing that your word has the power to look deep within our heart. And Lord, how many times it helps us to see what's deep in our own hearts. And how there can be a lot of ugliness there. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would touch us in our hearts. Strengthen us, forgive us, and give us the power to honor you and others in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as Christians, we are citizens in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it is our joy and our privilege to obey King Jesus, to serve King Jesus, to do life the way King Jesus tells us to. And King Jesus has high standards for his people, standards that go well beyond what this world might expect, standards that go well beyond what any religious community may expect. His standards go deep. His standards go inward. He's not just concerned with outward acts. He looks on the inside. Notice what Jesus says about murder in this section of the sermon. Look at verse 21. Jesus speaking. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Wow. Wow. Jesus is quoting directly from the law of Moses, from the Ten Commandments, the Sixth Commandment, Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. You shall not commit the act of murder. Now let's understand exactly what murder is. Murder is the unlawful taking of another person's life. Murder 
is unlawful killing. The commandment doesn't say you shall not kill. It says you shall not murder. You shall not kill unlawfully. You see, some killing is lawful and justified in order to protect innocent life and promote innocent life. Capital punishment, for instance, I believe the Bible teaches, is lawful. This law that says you shall not murder goes on to say that the murderer should pay with his own life. You might say, well, what about the worth of the life of the murderer? I would say, what about the worth of the life of the murderer's victim and their family? The Bible, a life for a life. The Bible teaches that life is so precious that if you take the life of someone else unlawfully, you should lose your own to protect life and promote life. Killing in a justified war is lawful. The Bible does not teach pacifism. It says in Romans 13 that governments and state authorities do have the power of the sword to execute wrath against those who practice evil. What is the world to do in a fallen world? Just allow a Nazi regime to take over? No, there should be a fight back. Killing in self-defense is lawful. Again, to protect life. The Bible, the law, does make a distinction between accidental killing and deliberate killing. But see, understand this idea, you shall not murder means you shall not kill unlawfully. Now, sadly, today we live in murderous mayhem. Murders all over the place, unlawful killing. The murder rates have increased dramatically over the last several years. There are certain communities in this country that, I mean, people are afraid to walk their dogs I don't think a day passes without another video going viral on the internet, watching someone get beat to death or shot to death. There's murder all over. You know, Jesus said that in the last days, lawlessness would abound. And that when lawlessness abounds, the love of many will grow cold. I think we're seeing that in society. And then add to that, I believe that human life begins at the moment of conception in the womb. Now what is Jesus saying here and how does that shed light on that issue? My brother and sister in Christ, obviously, we are not to be murderers. We're not to be a part of that death culture. We're to be pro-life and all that that means. But here, Jesus even takes it further. Here, Jesus says it's possible to commit murder inside. 
in your heart, in your thoughts. You're not to commit murder in your heart, Jesus would say. Now, these were such radical words. When Jesus spoke these words, you would have heard gasps in the audience. And Jesus spoke these words with the authority of God, being the Son of God. In verse 21, he says, you have heard that it was said. Verse 22, but I say to you, six times he will say that in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard what's being said, but I say to you with absolute authority, this is the standard. You know, there are some, when they study the Sermon on the Mount, They kind of view it that this is Jesus versus Moses. This is Jesus versus the written law of Moses. No, it's not Jesus versus Moses. It's Jesus versus what the religious establishment said about the law of Moses. See, Jesus doesn't say... Moses wrote this, but I say to you. Jesus says, people are saying this, but I say to you. Remember that the religious elites, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they had their own spin on the written law of Moses. They wrapped their traditions, their man-made interpretations and regulations around the written law. And most of the people in that day just blindly trusted their religious leaders. Which, man, that's so sad to me. Even today, a lot of people do that. They just blindly follow religious leaders. There are Christians that are part of Christian denominations where they're not encouraged to read their Bibles. They just depend upon the dogma of the church or whatever. I know of some Christians who are always... You know, talking about what the preacher said. Preacher so-and-so said this. Preacher so-and-so said that. Okay, preachers help, but you should know your Bible for yourself. You should be able to say, what does the Bible teach? Because so much can be lost in what people say about the written word of God. So Jesus is against these traditional interpretations. They've been miscontruing. They've been not giving the true intent of the written law. And that's why Jesus says, let me tell you what the real standard here is. See, when it came to the sixth commandment, the law says you shall not murder. The scribes added, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. So when they talked about this sixth commandment, do not murder, all of their focus was on the act of murder. Whoever commits murder is in danger of the judgment of hell. And they taught that in such a way that anything short of murder was okay. So you could be mean-spirited, you could be hateful towards people. You could be mean and nasty to people. 
And I'll tell you what, the religious leaders in the days of Jesus, they could say some of the most hateful things towards other people. Racist things, ugly things. They said hateful things concerning women. Concerning the the sinners in the community and the Gentiles. In fact, it was that establishment that said... Gentiles were outside the mercy of God. They were created to be fuel for the fires of hell. Okay, so you can say that, but just don't murder anyone. You ever heard somebody say, I'm going to be okay, I haven't murdered anyone. Jesus comes along and says, you're talking about judgment in the eyes of God? It's not just this act of murder. Oh, my lands. No. God looks in the heart. And those words are just as radical today as they were when Jesus spoke them. My friend, we can commit murder in the heart. Now, how do you commit murder in the heart? By being sinfully angry towards some other person in your life. Jesus says in verse 22, I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother, without a cause. Now, there is such a thing as righteous anger. Jesus had a righteous anger. He was angry, righteously so, at the religious establishment in his day. Remember, he was so angry with the money exchangers in the temple courts that he got a whip out and kick them out of town. Remember that. There is such thing as a righteous anger, and anger is justified when it's directed towards the ills of society in general and anything that would blaspheme God. We should have a righteous anger like that. By the way, it can really energize you to do the right thing. But I believe that in this context, Jesus is speaking about all your little relationships with all of those people in your life, in all the messiness of life. All those people you work with and see regularly. The ones that hurt you. The ones that bug you. You're not to be angry at them. Now there's two Greek words translated anger in the New Testament. There's the word thumos which is a word that literally means quick to ignite. It's like adding fire to dry straw. Just those people that just fly off the handle quickly. That's definitely dangerous and sinful, but that's not the word that Jesus uses here. The word he uses here is orgizo, and this is the word that speaks of a brooding anger. A simmering anger, long-lived. An anger that refuses to be pacified. An anger that seeks to be revenged. A person with this anger nurses it, keeps it warm. A person with this anger fantasizes about doing something wrong to that person. If you have anger like that in your heart towards anyone else, 
Jesus said that's committing the sin of murder in your heart. Verse 22, he says, whoever says to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the council. Raka, Aramaic word, means empty. Calling someone empty-headed. Calling someone a pea brain. A blockhead. A nitwit. And this is really a word that tries to encapsulate this arrogant, contempt for another person. In fact, it's, the way this word is said, I can't even say it, and I don't want to spit on anybody here in the front row. It's that guttural. It's the accent of contempt where you despise somebody's intellect. You have that in your heart? You're guilty of committing murder. If you insult people like that. It goes on to say in verse 22. Whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell. Fool. The Greek word moros. We get our English word moron from it. Now this isn't contempt upon somebody's intellect. This is contempt upon someone's character. Valuing someone's life is worthless. Raka means you stupid. Fool means you scoundrel. And that you would wish judgment upon that worthless scoundrel. It'd be like, may the scoundrel rot in hell. If you have feelings and thought like that in your heart towards another person. You've committed the sin of murder in your heart. If you harbor anger and hatred and moral contempt and intellectual contempt for others in your heart, you're guilty of murder. John, 1 John chapter 3 says, whoever hates his brother, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So, that's big time. Jesus says you shall not commit the act of murder. Neither shall you even wish it in your heart. That's the standard. Now, be careful here. The act of murder will get you in big trouble. Don't think to yourself, well, I already hate someone. I'm already guilty. Might as well kill him. No, you're going to get in big trouble if you carry through with the act of murder. Jesus is speaking to his people, though. And for his people, you won't even murder people in your heart. My brother, my sister in Christ, the way we treat people, all the people in our lives, matters. 
The Lord has called us to love people on the inside and on the outside. To forgive people on the inside and on the outside. We are not to hold grudges. We are not to be hateful people. We are not to become these bitter people. On the inside. As well as the outside. Personal relationships matter in the kingdom of God. Every single one. According to Jesus, they are a very top high priority. In fact, look what he says, goes on to say in verse 23. He says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now think about this. Jesus is describing what would have been considered the supreme act of worship in those days. A Jewish man, Jewish woman, bringing an animal, a gift, at the altar right there in the courts of the temple as a burnt offering, as a fellowship offering, as a trespass offering, maybe bringing the animal on Passover, you're bringing the animal the, to, to confess your sin. To offer it unto the Lord. Not everyone lived in Jerusalem. Remember, people lived hundreds of miles away. Imagine, I don't know, traveling 100, 150 miles on foot with your offering. And you get to the temple courts in Jerusalem. And there you are. You're about to, to give your offering. Jesus said if at that very moment you remembered that you have an issue with someone else in your life, leave that offering right there. And yes, go home 150 miles. Take care of that issue and then come back and do your worship. That is The lesson's obvious. Personal relationships are more important to Jesus than acts of worship. It's far more important to be reconciled to your brother than fulfill the external duties of worship. Worship is merely a pretense if we have offended others in such a way that we're holding grudges against them or they're holding grudges against us. So you need to make your personal relationships Top priority, coming to church, giving to the church, serving in church, coming to the communion service, participating in the prayer meeting. Those are good and beneficial things for us to do, but your personal relationships with others are more important than that. It's wrong to have all kinds of unsettled grudges and disputes with other people and ignore them. But keep doing all the churchy stuff. Let's go to church. Let's play church. Or to go to church and use that as a cover-up 
for ugliness in your heart towards other people. Please understand how important those relationships are. And how important it is to get that junk out of your heart. You know, as I read the New Testament, I find that if you have issues with people that have not been resolved, man, it can totally impact your fruitfulness as a Christian. It's like a, it's like a, a break in the line. You know, 1 Peter chapter 3 says, Husbands, if you're having an issue with your wife, it'll hinder your prayer life. We're told in Psalm 66, in our prayers, if I'm regarding iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So please understand, we should do everything we can to make things right with every person in our life, even the ones that have hurt us the most. So if you have offended someone, you need to go to them and apologize and make things right. Maybe you thought you were right, but you've offended someone. You need to go take care of that. If someone has offended you as a Christian man or woman, you should go to them. Have an honest heart-to-heart with them. How immature is it when, you know, somebody offends a person and then that person writes that person off for the rest of their life? I'm not going to have anything to do with that person. That's so immature. The body of Christ, you get things right. We're not to hold those grudges. We're not to have that bitterness and hatred in our hearts. We should do what it takes to forgive. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be best friends with everyone. That doesn't mean that if somebody really did you wrong in business, that you're going to enter into partnership with them again. Or that you have to stay in an abusive situation. No, 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 no. But as a Christian man, as a Christian woman, you've got to let that hatred go. You've got to give that to the Lord. Because you can't live like that. You don't want that hatred, that murder. It can develop into this murderous thought in your heart. Romans chapter 12 Verses 17 through 19. Boy, what an important section of scripture. I think we should all put it to memory. It says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. It's very, very strong in the original language. If it is in any way, shape, or form possible through your effort. If you will keep going until you've exhausted, you live peaceably with all men. 
you say, but they hurt me so bad, I, I just can't. It, 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 we got to be we got to rely on the Lord for this. And, and by the way, Romans 12 goes on to say, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Put your case in the hands of the Lord who sees everything perfectly. A lot more perfectly than you do. You leave that all in the hands of the Lord. Notice the second activity that Jesus mentions. Look at verse 25. He says, agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last Penny. So here Jesus is describing a situation where you have two people in a fight. It's a legal argument. They're adversaries. They're on their way to court. Jesus says, agree with your adversary before you get to court. Agree quickly. Otherwise, things might get Worse for you. Much worse. What's the lesson here? Well, the lesson here is settle things quickly. Don't let hatred and bitterness grow. If you have an issue with someone. Get on it right away. Get trouble sorted out in time before it piles up still worse trouble for the future. So when you have an issue with someone, and we all, we're going to have issues, don't ignore it. Don't let it fester. Don't let it grow can do so much damage. You know, I, I almost lost one of my best friends in college over a mountain bike. My friend started getting into the mountain biking scene, and I wanted to bike with him, and so I decided to get a bike. Well, he actually worked at a bike shop, had a good relationship with the manager there, and so I bought my mountain bike from that shop. I was out riding it like a week later and the gears fell apart. The whole thing just fell apart on the pathway. I bring the bike in and the manager says, it's not our fault, it's your fault. Talk about the customer always being right. Didn't work there. And my friend kind of took that guy's side. I'll never forget that. And it hurt bad. And I would say, come on, man. Stick up for your buddy. And they were saying, well, I mean, you shouldn't have rode the bike in a certain way or whatever they were accusing me of. And you know what? That was really starting to escalate. Me and my best friend. Finally. 
both of us at the same time came to this wonderful understanding of truth. People are more important than bikes. Way more important than bikes. We're not going to sacrifice our friendship on this bike. And so we talked it through, and he's still a best friend of mine to this day. Amen. But don't let it fester. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. That is a crucial verse. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Again, take care of things in the very day that it happens. Don't let that, don't let the wrath, the anger build. By the way, that's a great one for married couples. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You know, Kim and I, we have a wonderful, wonderful marriage. But we've gotten in a few arguments. Even the pastor and his wife. We have gotten into some conflicts. We have had some issues where I didn't agree and she took another side and and we didn't resolve it. But we've always, we've, we've used this verse in our marriage. Even if we can't agree... We're not going to bed with anger in our hearts towards one another. Because it stews. It simmers. Resolve these things quickly. Guard yourself from that. Okay, these standards are, man, they're so, they're so high. I can't keep them, can you? Have any of you committed murder in the heart? The way Jesus defines it. I think we've all broken it. Everything about this sermon drives you to God for help. And that's what it's intended to do. You can only obey these commandments by the supernatural power of God. You, only, you, 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 you can only even have a chance if you're given a brand new heart. And that's why you come to Christ and you say, this is who I am Take me in all my ugliness. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I bow before you. Save my life. And you know what the Bible says? He saves you and he gives you a new heart. And the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. And by the power of God, you do have the ability to obey these commandments. Inside and out. It's depending upon him. You know, over the last several years, they've come out with these puncture-proof tires on your car. You know what I mean? Any of you have them? When a normal tire gets punctured, man, it's lights out, right? You can hear the air escape. 
But a puncture-proof tire is different. If a nail goes through, there is some stuff inside that runs around and stops the hole, and the air stays in. The heart of a Christian is to be like that puncture-proof tire. An ordinary heart may be filled with love, but when something, someone does something to puncture that heart, all the love runs out. And hatred and hardened feelings take its place. But a puncture-proof heart is different. It's filled with the Spirit of Christ. And when someone, through their words or deeds, punctures that heart, immediately the hole is stopped up tight and the love stays in. The love should stay in. If you're a Christian, God has given you that puncture-proof heart. You depend upon the Holy Spirit to help you. I know this isn't easy. I know it isn't easy to forgive other people that have hurt you. But I'll tell you what, if you don't forgive, you're just making life more miserable for yourself. All that bitterness and hatred in your heart imprisons you. Someone said that that type of hatred is like burning your own house down to kill a rat. Let it go. Do the right thing in heart and in action. And as a Christian, you depend upon the Holy Spirit to help you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not... You you don't have that puncture-proof heart yet. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what. When you give your heart to Christ, only then can supernatural power be available. Only then do you become born again. And I would invite you right now to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you carry so much rage and hurt within you. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Lord, we look into our hearts and we do see ugliness there, but we're so grateful that you can cleanse a heart. You can change a heart. By your great love and grace. The message, the beautiful message of your word is that all sin can be forgiven because you paid the price. We thank you for your blood that washes away all sin, makes everything brand new. Lord, as your people, I pray that we would learn to trust you And learn to depend upon you in all of these messy matters of life. Shine through us. And then, Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who has not yet opened their heart to you. Listen. Think of what Christ did to save you. 
Bible says he took all of our sins upon himself. All of the ugliness of the human condition. Jesus came and bore that sin. The sinful thoughts, the ugly words, the ugly deeds, the shame of it all. Christ took that upon himself on your behalf. He died for it. He paid the price. And he rose again that third day. And if you put your faith and trust in the living Savior, all of your sins will be forgiven. They'll be washed away. You'll become a brand new person in Christ Jesus. You won't become perfect. But the Lord will definitely help you become much better. And a great example to others. If you've not received him. Do so right now. Place your personal faith and trust in Jesus. Just with a prayer. Say Lord Jesus. I, I, I bow before you. I surrender before you. I cry out to you. For mercy and grace and salvation. Wash away my sins. Thank you for paying the price for them. Be my Lord and my Savior. Change my heart. Change me from the inside out. Help me to forgive. Help me to let go of all that hatred, bitterness. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. I want to invite you, if you prayed that prayer, to receive Christ. Share that with one of us who will be up here in the front. We'd like to help you in your walk with Christ. Or share that with somebody that you attended church with today. If you need prayer for any reason, we're going to be available up here to pray with you and for you. Let's sing this last song together.